0: Uh, there was an atheist uh, who was taking in uh, the scenery. The atheist was was, was taking a little jog uh, in the woods alongside the river and could hear the river running and could hear uh, all the beautiful things. And, and he was admiring all these great things uh, all around him. And as this guy uh, continued to run along, he he looked over his shoulder, and he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear, and the grizzly bear was charging him, and and so the atheist, he he ran as fast as he could to get away from the grizzly bear, and he's looking over his shoulder, and the grizzly bear is just charging after him, and he was getting scared, he started to cry, and, and, and he just kept on running, and running, and running, and finally, he comes up to a stick, and he trips over it, and he falls to the ground. And at that moment, he turned and looked at the bear, and the the bear reaching with his left paw and his right paw coming up to, to take him down. The atheist cried out, Oh God, oh God. And just then, everything paused. The river stopped flowing, the birds stopped chirping. The bear froze in the middle of the air and a bright light shone upon the man and and he said all these years all these years you have gone against me. You have said that I am nothing and now you cry out to me. Is it now that you want to be a Christian? The atheist looked at the light and And said, no, I can't do that. I'd be a hypocrite. But will you make the bear a Christian? So just then, everything came back to life. The river started flowing, the birds were chirping, and the bear was still growling. But then the bear pulled back its paw put the two paws together and said, Lord, for this meal, I give you thanks. <laughs> well, today I, I do want to talk about the creator. The creator of the world. And, and you know what? We forget sometimes that many people don't believe that there is a creator, a, a creator of the universe and beyond. People believe that uh, in the information that they receive from their colleagues and from their friends and from their family, from their tribe from from their culture, from their news outlet from their leaders that 's where people gain their information. I was speaking to a gentleman the other day at Hinckley Big Rock. I was watching Noah play some basketball. Uh, on, the, on the basketball court and, and enjoying my time there. And, and as we discussed some things, we came to the realization that many people do not want to talk about things that they don't already agree with. I personally have witnessed numerous people who are resistant to discuss topics like abortion, politics, religion, the Bible. There, people don't want to discuss sexuality, finances or even relationships why because these things are hard to talk about at times they are like landmines they are very explosive if you if you step on them if you get too close to them and you know what not only you can get hurt but the people around you can get hurt can get injured i found, though, that with a lot of love, with much prayer, and seeking wisdom from the power of God's word, you can approach any subject. You may not be able to approach any person with any subject, but you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of of the King, can handle any subject. You can address any subject with the power of God's Word. But it requires a a careful study. Not a study of your personal life, your circle of life, your, your historical facts from your vantage point, but a study of the Scriptures. That's the important thing to do. Just like last week when we looked at our view as believers in Jesus Christ about abortion... The goal is not to give opinions. The goal is to go to God's word and to see how God's word reveals truth. And that's what we're going to do today to see what the word of God has to say about racism. About racism. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to bring forth your word, and I humbly ask that you speak and not me. I humbly ask that you transform us as a congregation, as a church, as people who follow you. Help us to focus in on what you desire. Help us to be trained from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we look at racism, I, I want to look at, at each of us. A, at each one of us, not just as people sitting here today, but I want to look at humankind, starting with Adam and Eve, to you and to me. Three quick points. First, we are all image bearers. We are all image bearers. Genesis one twenty six through 27 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It was in the summer of 2005 at the London Zoo, and they posted a sign, uh, Next to their newest exhibit, the sign said, Warning, humans in their natural environment. They had numerous homo sapiens, humans. doing they, they, were, they were bathing on rocks, just enjoying the sun. Uh, they were playing board games. They were just in, enjoying one another. They, they got to that point to be in this zoo exhibit through a contest online. Right next to them were other uh, orangutans and, and the sort. And, and it was just an enclosure where they, they just mingled throughout the day and people would look at them in their cage. A signboard informed visitors about the species diet and habitat, their worldwide distribution And the threats. This is what uh, Polly Wills, the zoo spokeswoman, uh, said about the goal of the exhibit. Seeing people in in a different environment among other animals teaches members of the public that the human is just another primate. Tom Mahoney, one of the participants in the exhibit, this is what he said a lot of people think that humans are above other animals. When they see humans as animals here, it kind of reminds them that we're not that special. Friends, we are not like other animals. We are not. We are special. We are unique. And just like I just read, uh, according to God's word, we have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Mentally, morally, socially, we reflect the creator. That is what we do as human beings. And I don't think that, that you and I grasp this enough. Think back to, to Matthew 22. Uh, Jesus is having a conversation uh, with, with a disciple of the, of the Pharisees. I think it's even pluralized disciples of the Pharisees. Were sent out to go try to trick Jesus. <laughs> into uh, uh, mocking Caesar or into going against Caesar. You guys remember that story. The question came, is it our right to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus asked for a coin. I think I brought one, yep. This isn't uh, old school coin, but Jesus asked for a coin and he held it in his hand and he says, whose image is on that coin. Obviously, the man said Caesar. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. and Give to God what is God's. Did you realize or ever think the man never asked a follow-up question? He never asked the the, the follow-up question, what belongs to God? That's what he could have asked Jesus for a follow-up question. And Jesus would have said, Whose image are you? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God which belongs to God. A.W. Tozer said, The doctrine of man made in the image of God is one of the basic doctrines of the Bible and one of the most elevating, enlarging magnanimous and glorious doctrines that I know. Absolutely crucial to understand that you and you and the people down the street and the people in Uganda and the people at prison are all made in the image of God. The second point that I want to make about all of us, from Adam and to Eve to you and to me, is that we are all corrupted by sin. We're all corrupted by sin. Romans three twenty three says very clearly, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Isaiah fifty three six, "All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all." First John one eight says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not from us. From our birth, we have been sinners. Adam and Eve were tempted and gave into the temptation, and the seed was passed down from generation to generation. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You and I inherited the nature of wrath from our parents, who in turn inherited from their parents, who in turn, all the way, so on and so forth, all the way to Adam and Eve. Therefore, from Adam to Eve to you and to me, we all need a Savior. We need a Savior. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. We need a Savior because you and I cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior because without Christ, we are described as having zero hope, nothing, no chance. You see, God is holy, and he cannot tolerate the presence of sin. If you and I continue in sin without a way to be cleansed, we can never live eternally with God. It is absolutely impossible for us to even be with God, let alone see him. So God had a plan. It's his only plan. It's his plan A. He's never changed from this plan he had a solution. It was to offer a perfect sacrifice. An absolute perfect sacrifice once and for all to cleanse us from sin and to reconcile us. How? He was going to send himself as a baby boy. Luke 2.11 says, For unto you this, it, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus lived a perfect life, absolutely perfect. And he was put on a cross and he died, not because he was guilty of one thing, but because he took all of our sin on himself. He was the perfect lamb and was led to the slaughter so he could shed his blood for our forgiveness. God turned his back on him. I demonstrated that last week. God turned his back on Jesus. And at that moment, he took on all of our sin. He took on Nathan's sin He took on Tom's sin, he took on Alice's sin, he took on my sin. When God completely turned his back on him. Because it was the plan. It was the only way that you and I could ever be forgiven once and for all. Jesus died three days later, came back to life, conquered death. This all had to happen because everyone... From Adam, to Eve, to you, and to me, needed a Savior. And no one else could have been that Savior. It had to be Jesus. It had to be the anointed one. I just gave you the gospel. I just gave you the good news. The good news that that each of us need to know. And, And these words aren't mine. I took them straight from Scripture. Straight from from God's word, from the Bible. And we're about to jump into a landmine. Jump right on top of it. And you know what? If you don't accept what I just told you, if you don't personally accept all that stuff about Jesus and and who he is and, and, and what he did for you, the rest of this doesn't matter. You're in trouble anyway. It is absolutely crucial that you understand and you accept what I just shared. Otherwise, the rest of this is just information. As one preacher put it, the landmine of racism is not first and foremost a skin problem. It is a sin problem. If we get confused and think that this is the only problem with color of our skin, then we can spend forever and a day trying to trying to solve this. And we're going to just get frustration, confusion, and more disagreement. As long as you and I deal with this simply as a social issue instead of a spiritual one, it will never be dealt with. Racism. Racism occurs when you believe that you are superior. That you are superior. When you hear the word racism, especially here in the United States of America, you immediately think of skin color. And and frankly, that is a large part of racism. It's been an issue uh, for most of time. It continues to this day. And we think in America, we talk about it as black and white. Literally. Racism between two different colors. However, as you will see in this video that we're about to show, that is illogical to have that.
1: I hear this one a lot. How can there be so many races in the world if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve? Well, check this out. First off, let's talk about the word race. Sometimes when people use the word, they mean supposed races of people who have evolved at different times, rates, and in different locations. That's not true. Of course, the word race is also a term we use to distinguish between groups with different physical traits, namely skin color. But are there really different races? Take a gander at Acts 17.26 where it is written that God, from one man, made every nation of men. It's clear then that the Bible teaches that there is one race, the human race. The Bible is also clear that all people on the earth are descendants of Adam and Eve who were created by God. Check Genesis 1, through 28. Easy enough. God created two people in his image, male and female, and told them to increase in number. So Adam and Eve are mom and dad of the human race. Then their children had children, and those children had children, and so on and so forth for many generations until, according to Genesis 6, 9, the world's population was reduced to eight people who were protected inside an ark during a global flood. And those eight people later walked off the ark, and according to Genesis 9:19, 9, from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Oh, wait a second. What do I mean scattered? Well, jump over to Genesis 11 and let's talk about an event known as the Tower of Babel. Basically, because of the sinful actions of the descendants of Noah, the Lord confused their language and scattered them from there over all the earth. That's pretty clear and concise. Okay, so we've got lots of people who were descendants of the eight folks who came off the ark, and now they have been scattered all over the earth. That explains that we are still one race and that different groups of people ended up in different locations. But how do we get a bunch of different colored people if we are all one race? We'll follow along. This, of course, is a simplified explanation, but the basic principles are true. We all have a pigment in our bodies called melanin, which, depending on different variables, produces different shades of the one main skin color we all possess. Several genes control the amount of melanin produced and thus the variability in the skin shade. In fact, it's easy for one couple to produce a wide range of skin shade variability in just one generation, as we'll see in just a moment. Time for a quick genetics lesson. DNA is the molecule of heredity that is passed from parents to children. A child inherits 23 chromosomes from each parent. Each chromosome pair contains hundreds of genes, which regulate the physical development of the child. However, to illustrate basic genetic principles pertaining to the topic, we'll just talk about two genes, the genes that control the production of melanin. So, let capital A and capital B symbolize versions of the gene that code for large amounts of melanin, while little a and little b code for small amounts. Got it? Easy. Check this out. Take a look at the upper left. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B genes and mom contributes capital A, capital B genes as well. Together they will produce a child with capital A, capital A, capital B and capital B. This is a kid with a lot of melanin thus he will have very dark skin. Easy to see. Here's the bigger point though. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B and mom contributes little a and little b. Well, the child's skin will be middle brown shade. The combination of capital A, little a and capital B, little b, which by the way represents a majority of the world's population. Not only that, but if each parent capital A, little a, capital B, little b, the combinations that could be produced in their children could result in a very wide range of skin shades in just one generation. So, since Adam and Eve were the first people ever, it makes sense to conclude that God placed in them a combination of genes that could produce all different shades of skin we see. Those same combinations would be present in Noah and the seven other people who boarded the ark. And because God dispersed people at the Tower of Babel, He dispersed the population, thereby isolating gene pools in the different people groups. Over time, different cultures formed in different locations with certain features like skin shade becoming predominant. And here we are today. And since we all go back to Noah and his family, it makes sense that we are all different shades of brown. One race, multiple people groups, just like the Bible teaches. Simplified for sure, but enough said.
0: Racism, racism occurs throughout the world and throughout history. There have been certain groups that people have seen themselves as superior to other groups. We just celebrated the 75 years of D-Day. This was all about racism. Our troops gave of their lives to eliminate the racism uh, that was being shown by the Nazis. They hated the Jews and saw them as an inferior race, and not only Jews but black people, homosexuals, disabled, and the list goes on and on. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You see, people puff themselves up and, and think that uh, they want to make a, a big to-do about their ethnicity when, in fact, they have zero to-do with their ethnicity, They have no say in it. They are who they are. God has chosen them for that. In the early 2000s, during the Congo Civil War, pygmies were hunted down like game animals and eaten. The 2008 Summer Olympics held in Beijing found many establishments not willing to serve black people and Mongolians. The Sudan saw major slavery with black captives, In 2006, Niger deported 150,000 Arabs because of their ethnic background. Indonesians had a law against the Chinese until 1998. Many countries within the continent of Africa show racism towards one another. Madagascar against South Africa, Guyana against Malaysia, and so on. And we've seen it in the United States. We've seen it with slavery and segregation. But both of these things, just like the Nazis, were state-sponsored racism, which we see throughout the world and throughout history. And we've seen this with our own eyes throughout the world, and not just in Germany during World War II, but in Africa and in the Soviet Union and in China and North Korea and in Mexico and the United States. In fact, racism occurs in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. June 17, 2015, Dylan Roof, a 21-year-old white supremacist, murdered nine African-Americans during a prayer service at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Three other victims were injured in this racist event. August 11 and 12, 2017, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and KKK members Marsh in Charlottesville, Virginia. Three deaths, 38 plus people injured because of racism. June 12, 2016, 49 individuals were killed, 53 wounded during the Latin night at the Pulse nightclub, an LGBTQ club in Orlando, Florida. These are just some of the, the big stories that happened in our neighborhoods. And these things are happening in our towns as well. Yeah, we may not have murders or or major injuries currently, but we see it in hiring practices. We see it in, in how people walk down the street when they take the other side. Racism plays a major role in trust. When I was in Ethiopia, and and I wanted to go somewhere, I kind of did whatever I wanted. You see, when when we would go to the Hilton, for example, the Hilton is very fancy, one of two major hotels, Hilton and the Sheraton, both in Addis Ababa. Huge hotels there. We would exchange money occasionally, and we were going to go past the Hilton, so I'd be like, hey, let's just stop there instead of going to one of the banks. They had a bank inside the Hilton. Well, we would always wait in line behind other cars because each of those cars were being fully patted down, each member, and the car being checked. Guys had machine guns wrapped over their shoulder, literal machine guns, and they're fully checking out these cars and and patting down these people. And as our turn would come up, and I'd be always in the front front seat, passenger side, I'd just stick my head out and say, "Salam," And they would just open the gate and we'd drive right through. Not one person patted down. Not one person checked. Not one person, even the Ethiopians in our car, were even pulled out. Why? Because of my skin color. Because of my skin color and friends This is happening in our neighborhoods as well and much to my chagrin in 2019 skin color continues to play a major part of who we are Sexuality does too frankly If we find out that someone is a homosexual we will treat them differently You see, when people are different than you, you sometimes feel superior. You think somehow because of your home or because of your job or because of your beliefs that you are better than them. And I want you to examine this in light of the information we read from Scripture earlier today. And examine your own heart because it's easy for you, me, every one of us, anyone who's listening to this to just excuse it and say, that's not me. Some people are like that, and that's not me. I have black children in my home. Now I have a Hispanic young man in my home. And friends, it is real. They have experienced it. And it is not good because of their skin color. Not only does racism happen throughout the world, And within our neighborhoods, but racism also occurs in the church. That's a capital C. And it's very sad, but a lot of racism happens inside the walls of these buildings we call churches. People who are proclaiming to love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you think racism is okay, you do not know Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 and 8. 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross you see the lord does not see as man sees first samuel 16:7 but the lord said to samuel do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart. The Lord is looking for the humble. He is looking for those people who put themselves in a, in a spot where God is superior, not them. He hates when man puffs himself up. When he when he lifts himself up, he isn't looking for for that one to be part of his family. He really isn't. He's looking at the heart. He's not looking for the strongest, the whitest, the blackest, uh, the tallest, the skinniest, or the smartest. That's not how God sees man. In fact, the Lord does not show partiality. He doesn't. Acts ten thirty four through 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, <clears throat> Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for someone to simply bow their knee to him. Knowing that he is God and we are not. You see, racism is the opposite of that. It, it, it's, it's wanting man to bow to us rather than we to bow to God. God. And there's not one person, no matter how young or old, no matter what our position is, who, who should, we should bow down to. There are some cultures, obviously, where, where bowing is appropriate, but I, I gather and you get what I'm saying. We are made in the image of God, every one of us. And if God didn't see every person as someone he values, then he would not have commanded us, to preach to everyone, in all nations. The Lord does not want us to leave out a nation. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You guys know this. Just as we commissioned Julie and Tom, Jesus was commissioning his disciples, and this is what he said. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples of where? All nations. All nations. So what are we going to do about it? Two quick things. First, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants us to love one another. That seems simple enough, doesn't it? He wants us to love one another. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. We, we see this, that Jesus throughout all of time showed compassion and love to all the people. It, it, it was recorded for us in the Gospels of what Jesus was doing to the people. His desire to show no partiality and, see, and, and to see people not as man sees them, at least that's the scriptures that I read the second thing and then we'll tell a story here the second thing and this is important brothers and sisters in Christ again if you're not a brother and sister in Christ if you do not trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior that is first and foremost but this is important Jesus wants us to break down the dividing walls of hostility he wants us to break them down Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We've built too many walls, friends, and they're just getting thicker and thicker and taller and taller, and it's hard to knock them down. It's absolutely difficult to knock them down, but we need to. As people who follow Jesus Christ, we need to reflect who he is. We need to lean into our Father in heaven and trust that he's going to give us opportunities as we seek them. And he'll give us opportunities to put our arms around fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And embrace them because just like us, they are image bearers. They don't even need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're still an image bearer. You still have a resemblance of, of who God is. And that's that's the beauty. That's where we reach out. That's where we love. That's where we show compassion. John chapter 4 tells of, of a powerful story. A powerful story of Jesus who, who's going to break down barriers and break down walls between two groups groups that are showing partiality and hostility towards one another you see Jesus he decided to go to uh, from Galilee to Judea from Judea and, and instead of, of, of walking around Samaria which all of his friends would do he's going to walk right through Samaria right through the town You see, Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans. That's why Jesus kept using them in the stories. But this was a real-life situation. There there was a mutual hate from Jews to Samaritans and to Samaritans to Jews. They hated each other. And it went all the way back to the Assyrian uh, battles when the Assyrians took multiple nations and and, and dropped them into Samaria. And, and, And they... Uh, intermarried with the Israelites and as the Jews call it they became half-breeds and all of a sudden these people started picking up uh, the idolatry of of all these other religions and they were mixing it all together but they still believed in, in in the books of Moses and so they were combining it but they were despised, they hated it Remember, Nehemiah was trying to build a wall, and the Samaritans were the ones who were trying to stop them from building it. They're causing all the havoc. The Samaritans uh, built themselves a temple, and they said, this is the right temple. This is the temple you're supposed to worship at, but it was full of idolatry. If you're an outlaw in Judea, guess where you were sent? Samaria. They hated each other. Absolutely hated each other. John eight forty eight says... Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They hated the Samaritans. And right back at them, Samaritans hated the Jews. Why? Race. They practiced different things, they thought differently, they looked different. So Jesus heads towards Samaria and he sends the disciples. For food and and Jesus walking and he comes to this well and eventually this young lady walks up to the well to get to get water. It's about noon. And what Jesus does is is absolutely shattering to a wall. John four. We'll start with verse five. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. This is important. They both believe in Jacob. Both Samaritans and the Jews, they both believed in Jacob. So it was a common ground. Jesus met this lady at a common ground. It was Jacob's well there, verse 6. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, high noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink give me a drink he simply asked a question if the lady would give him a drink as he was thirsty remember the disciples they went and bought were going to buy food that was about a 10 mile trip 5 miles each direction the Samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a Jew ask for a drink from me a woman of Samaria then he gives us a little footnote in there for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She was in disbelief. This man was crazy. Not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan. And somehow this Jewish man wanted to put his lips on her cup. I'm she didn't want to give let him touch her cup anyway. Because I heard it's my person. But she was in more disbelief of how could this man actually be asking me this. Obviously, Jesus looked Jewish. She could tell right away. You're not going to to other people It's our work to make sure that you are not getting comfortable in your walk with Jesus Christ. As we're going to see, this took several days now. This will take several days for Jesus to complete this particular ministry Because that's what it's all about. It's not about time. It's not about the effort. It's not about that. It's just breaking down walls and trying to figure out how do I do it as an individual believer in Jesus Christ? As an image bearer, how do I love another image bearer? And that's what Jesus is doing here. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is so deep. She's just seeing the surface right here. What are you talking about? Why are you going get, to get water? You have nothing to get it from. Where do you get a, the living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will be coming in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she says, Give me this water. Give me the water. See, Jesus is sharing the gospel right there. Without ever doing one thing, Christianity, Christianese words. He's just caring about her. And he's saying, hey, you know what? I actually, I've got water. I've got water that you're going to love and you're going to want to share it with me. You're going to want to share this water with me. Verse 16, Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, yes, right. You have five husbands. And the one you're with Recently, she's not even your husband. And the woman said, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's pretty smart. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This is when Jesus gets going. You see, she brought in the fathers. She doesn't realize who Jesus' father is. You see, this is all about just breaking down the wall, and saying, you know, it doesn't matter about what your religion is, it doesn't matter what the Pharisees are saying. There's, gonna, there, there's only one true God. And you, sister, are an image bearer of me. That's what Jesus is saying. I love you, I care about you, and I want you with me for eternity. 24, God in his spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is also called, he is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. Imagine this: the disciples who
1: hate the Samaritans. They love Jesus.
0: But they hate the Samaritan woman. You see, that's what we're trying to get to in racism. You love Jesus Christ, you say, but you hate somebody else, for you despise somebody else, or somebody else you don't want to be around. That's why I was touching base with, with sexuality, and, 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 and skin color, and, and people who are uh, um, act a certain way, people who smell a certain way, people who actually are worshiping some other god. That's what this lady's doing. She worships another god other than the real god. And and, and that lady who's a who's a witch, like literally. She practices witchcraft. Or or that family that's uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Or Muslims. How are you connecting with them? How are you coming into their space and and affecting them in real ways? That's what racism is. It's not just skin color. Yes, that's huge. But it's all these other things added on to it too that we try to seclude ourselves and and make sure that we're keeping our kids safe or our grandkids safe or I'm trying to stay safe. That's just too dangerous. The disciples, they came back. They marveled out that he was talking to the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see this man. And, and, And he could tell us everything. He is the Christ. She left her water. She understood that that meant nothing. The water meant nothing at that point. Because she was getting the living water from Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, the disciples, verse 31, were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Think of this. They went the 10 miles, 5 miles, both directions. And they're like, we went and got this food for you. Can't can you at least eat Jesus says you're not getting it have you ever been so focused in your ministry where it didn't matter food, time, money none of that mattered where it was so focused on the person on the ministry of Jesus Christ that none of that else nothing else mattered and that's exactly what Jesus was saying that. he's saying nothing matters Stop it. Food doesn't matter. I can eat later. I am doing the work of the harvest. That's what a whole bunch of our farmers are hoping to do later in the fall. That there's a harvest. You see, what, what are the farmers doing right now? Oh, they're waiting. They're waiting. I have to talk to the farmer who farms at our house and he goes, I need two more days like this. Two more days like this and I'm out on that field. I'm ready to go, and he's in his 70s. He's anxious, and he's ready to go because he wants to get that harvest at the end. And that's exactly how we need to be as Christians. We need to be wringing our hands. (laughs) Who else can I bring the gospel to? This is great. How, How do I share it so there's a huge harvest at the end? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Verse 34, Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You know what was happening right here? The woman ran into town. And she went got all these men from Samaria, Samaria, Sychar, I the city. And guess what? The men were coming up out of the hill where the well was sitting. And Jesus says, "We don't need food, but the harvest is ready." And they look and they see all these Samaritan men coming towards them. You talk about. Transforming people's lives and saying, stop with all of this hostility. We have a ministry to do, and it and it's too big. Look at this: the harvest is huge, the crop has already shown up. The sun has come upon it and given you a harvest. Verse 36: Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him. They asked him. What did they ask him? stay with us for two days. You see, that's what happens when you break down barriers. All of a sudden, you're getting the hugs. You're getting the embraces. You're getting the invites to stay with them. What? 30 minutes before this? They hated Jews. The woman hated Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. walls broke down, and what did they do? They stayed with them for two full days. You see, going to places like
1: Paramount
0: and embracing a culture that is 40% black, 45% Hispanic, you just start to figure out that none of this matters. Every kid, they just want a chance. Every person in this life, they just want a chance. And in the end, they just want to be loved. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter how good the language is or how poor it is. It matters you're an image bearer. You're not, and nobody is, supposed to be put in a, a, a cage and mocked and looked at no, we're supposed to get on our knees and praise the king of kings, the creator of everything it's because of him we owe it all do you realize that there are 613 look at this 613 mosaic laws 613 laws if you're a good Jew to follow. They came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, which of these laws is the most important? Do you know which one Jesus chose? None of them. He chose absolutely zero of the 613. Instead, this is what he said, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Because these two things are inseparable because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and everything who you are you have to love your neighbor even even in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan he's talking about the neighbor about someone that's despised by his listeners you cannot say that I love God, but I hate my neighbor, those two cannot be said together. Every single human life has significant worth. The person in Somalia, the person in Australia, the person in Brazil, the person in the United States, the person in India, and everywhere else, each of us are made in the image of God. The example of Jesus reaching out to everyone around him for those that were loved, those were cared for, those were cast aside. Women, poor, outcasts, unclean, oppressed, racial enemies. All of these, these are groups that Jesus loved, Jesus ministered to, Jesus blessed. The entire ministry of Jesus was to destroy walls of hostility, bring in near those who were once estranged. This ministry of reconciliation is one that absolutely should continue right here at Village Bible Church. It should continue in the church capital C. And it's our job to take this message of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, no matter what. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter what they act like, no matter uh, what they're currently practicing, no matter what they're wearing. The church is responsible to make sure that everyone knows. That each and every human is made in the image of God. Racism is sin. And it's against the creator and it needs to stop with the Christian. And it needs to stop with the church. How do we know how to deal with all these landmines? We dig into God's word. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word.